0: Welcome to Spies of London, a special episode on Alexei Navalny. I've actually brought forward this episode on Navalny. I recorded a trailer on this last week. Unusually for Spies of London, where we are so used to dealing with people who lived, worked and died decades earlier, where there is a settled amount of factual information, books, papers, documents to look at, This case is happening right now, and there has been a development today, so we've even brought forward this episode to address it. And the fantastic news, not unexpected, but nevertheless perhaps not expected as soon as this, is that Navalny is out of his medically induced coma, although he is still on mechanical ventilation. I should point out that the Skripals took a long, long time to recover, even to a point where they could go home. I think the younger daughter took about a month, the father, who was in his late 60s, took about two months. So Navalny could take four to six weeks before he's well enough to leave hospital, but the fact that he is well enough to regain consciousness and respond to verbal stimulus is excellent news. If you heard the trailer, you will know that I no longer believe it was his tea that was poisoned, although Novichok can be administered as a powder which could be put into tea. The consensus seems to be that he wouldn't have survived this long if that was the case. Others have suggested that the poison was applied to his clothes or to some location that he visited before boarding the aeroplane. What I find very interesting is the involvement of Germany here. Now this is interesting because it's a German charity rather than the German state that's brought Navalny to the Berlin hospital. But this charity has done this before. But Germany... Of all of the European countries, seems to be the one most pro-Russia at the moment. They've got the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which is apparently nearly finished, which pipes gas directly from locations in Russia into Germany without going to any other country in between. So it's the gateway to Europe for this gas. But also a Chechen rebel was murdered in a Berlin park last year and there was a hack on the Bundestag computer system five years ago. Which makes me think that perhaps Russia have fouled their own footpath yet again, because of all of the countries that Navalny could have gone to, and Putin was very quick to suggest that this might happen, that he would not block this, that Germany was the most likely destination. And it's Germany who dragged their feet over Skripals and have all of these business interests in Russia and have been i say the least anti-Russia, the most pro-Russia, say it how you like, of all European countries. For Navalny to have ended up in Berlin is bad news for the Kremlin. Especially now that Germany is saying that they will basically assume Russia's done it unless they can cooperate in some way, which puts Nord Stream 2 under pressure and other cooperations as well. This episode wouldn't be complete without mention of Trump and he's suggesting that he hasn't seen any proof that Navalny was poisoned. Well, hopefully we can say that Trump is a president on the ropes and he has a very long and muddy track record with Russia. So hopefully he won't be around for too long. He's unlikely to get Novichoked, which I think is one of the main differences between America and Russia. What I really wanted to do before looking at Skripal, Litvinenko, Navalny and the more detailed aspects of that is to give you a backgrounder on what on earth Novichok is. Here goes. So I have enjoyed having this excuse to look at Novichok. I didn't do this in any great detail for Skripal. I didn't do that many walks with Airbnb after the Skripal case. So some of the details I've only just got around to looking at. The symptoms of Novichok poisoning, should you suspect that you have been Novichoked, are slow heart, asphyxiation, organ damage, and firming at the mouth, which is something I remember very clearly from the news reports about Skripal and his daughter. There are seven types of Novichok, although listings various places suggest there might be more. There are some doubling up of names, but they were not revealed publicly until the early 1990s, although they were developed in the 70s and later years. I find that date very fascinating because, of course, the Berlin Wall came down, the Cold War ended in the early 1990s. And I say later in this episode, you know, that only the West thought the Cold War was over. China and Russia just carried on as before. That's a simplification, but it's how it feels today. But Novichok was first used in, I think, 93, which is well after the Cold War was supposedly over. And then it's been used, obviously, more recently as well, that we know of and possibly more often in Russia that we don't know of. But the great thing about Novichok, bearing in mind that it has to be moved to wherever you're going to use it, and it's so lethal that you really cannot afford to get exposed to it, you know, even in the air it would be unpleasant, but certainly on your skin. The great thing about it, therefore, is that it works as two-component parts, a bit like Araldite and other home DIY products where you have to mix two things together to make a compound that does something else that you actually want it to do. So the two agents for Novichok are not as hazardous as Novichok, and it makes transporting it easier, hence possibly why it was used to carry out an attack in the UK. You could take the two compounds in separate jars, mix them together just before you use them, and only then does it become really dangerous, and you can then be careful about how you handle it. The problem with this approach, of course, is that if you mix it wrong or make a mistake in the mixing, or get exposed to the mixed Novichok as you're faffing about with it, it can go very badly wrong in the sense that either it's not effective or not as potent as it should be, or of course that you accidentally spill it while you're doing the mixing. Uh, It can also be used to increase the shelf life of the poison because the two agents themselves can be stored for longer periods than the mixed or more potent combination. And did one of the people, one of the scientists who was involved in making Novichok got exposed to it and died So it really is lethal. It's very dangerous, just like handling polonium. You do not want to be the one doing the deed. And I suspected at the time and still think that the people who assassinated Litvinenko did not know what the poison was because of the careless way they handled it. Now, one thing I found really interesting doing the research for this is that a guy called David Wise wrote a book called Cassidy's Run. And in that book, he suggests that Novichok compounds might have come about by a backfired American plot, in the sense that Americans pretended to Russia using a double agent, that they had a nerve agent called GJ as part of something called Operation Shocker. And they tried to convince the Russians that this GJ thing was lethal and very difficult to track and all the rest of it. I'm, by the way, going to review this book soon. And then the Russians took this as fact. And immediately put into practice their own program, which ended up in being Novichok, which shows you something else that's become a theme to my work here on the podcast and in the walks, is that the lies and deceit get so convoluted and complex and paranoid and mixed together and regurgitated. Nobody's quite sure exactly what the other side are doing. And you can end up having unintended consequences where you set up a game or a ruse where you pretend one thing to achieve something. You can never predict what the receiver of that information will do. They do something you didn't expect and you end up in a worse situation. It's like the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's also a little bit like the Navalny poisoning because I don't think Russia really expected him to go to Germany, of all places. But it doesn't take that much imagination to think that it could well have been Germany that took him after Putin offered to have him treated abroad. So again, Putin's uh, game there, whatever that was, doesn't seem to have worked out in a way that is good for Russia. One of the informants on the Novichok program was a guy called Merzianov. Now my Russian pronunciations might need work. Merzianov makes clear that there were several Novichok compounds, many of them less potent than others. And the reason these were made, or made in concert with a more potent poison, is that the existence of these weaker chemicals meant that Russia could be public about the weaker versions and say, look, these are just insecticides and other pesticides, they're not chemical weapons. But then they made some versions which were slightly chemically different and way more dangerous that were kept secret. So you might've read reports about organophosphates of which Novichok is a type, but there are several of these around which are not as lethal and not deemed to be chemical weapons. And I have seen that Novichok can be a fine powder but is usually a liquid and it's believed to have been a liquid or a gel that was used on the Skripals because, of course, some of it was found in a perfume bottle and a powder would never be mistaken for perfume. Just before we take a closer look at the recent Russian poisonings, focusing mainly on Navalny, of course, I wanted to take a moment to talk about a concept in Russia called Vranyo which has been spoken about by Ben McIntyre who I really like reading and respect, but also other newspapers have taken this up as well. And this is a aspect of Russian society, Russian culture that I was not previously aware of, but it is said that lying, deceit, half-truths, flat lies is a part of Russian culture which is very hard for the West, for British people to understand. But as I understand it, the idea is that two people, or more than two people, but two people in a conversation who understand each other and a certain situation can lie to each other in a way that is so blatant and so obviously false that neither of the parties believe the lie. The liar knows that he's lying and he knows that the other person knows that he's lying and he isn't believed, but he lies anyway. And the other person listens to him, sort of nods or shrugs, smiles, doesn't question anything, doesn't question the lie, goes along with the lie and is somehow complicit with it and that this is some kind of social nicety in Russia. I do understand that, I think any adult would understand that sometimes it's better to have a confrontation or to flatly gainsay somebody else for social reasons and I can understand how that might be taken to an extreme in certain countries or cultures but I don't think that the situation where the Russian state blatantly lies about Litvinenko, about Skripal, about Navalny and other things as well, could be ever considered Vranyo as I understand it, because Vranyo by its very nature requires the complicity of the other person of the party. So it's possible to argue that the Kremlin's denials over Navalny are Vranio for the Russians, in other words everybody in Russia knows they did it. Nobody thinks that anybody else did it. They certainly don't think it wasn't a poison. Probably if they've seen anything about it, understand what Novichok is and and know exactly what's happened. I could understand how that would work for a domestic audience, if it was part of the culture and established social norms. I can see that. But the reason I don't agree that it's Ranyo is that these statements were made publicly to international news outlets and there is no way that the west will ever believe that anybody other than Russia killed Litvinenko tried to kill Skripal and seemingly tried to kill Navalny nobody will ever believe this so it cannot be vranio in an international sense it could only possibly ever work inside the culture where this thing happens So I'm looking into this more. I want to learn more about it. I think the whole idea is fantastic in a kind of academic sense, in a kind of curiosity sense that you can have a business or social system where this kind of blatant lying is somehow a social nicety. I want to learn more about this. If you do know more about this, please get in touch. Email or other links on the website. There's forms you can fill in as well. It would be great to learn more about it. I wanted to introduce this idea of Ranyo. I wanted to let you know I'm looking into it I don't quite buy it as a way of international diplomacy, but I could see how for a domestic Russian audience that it might just work. Certainly Germany, Britain, and the Five Eyes are not buying any of this. So without further ado, let's take a closer look at the background to the cases I keep mentioning. Litvinenko, which I know a lot about from my spy walks, Skripal, and of course today, Navalny. Over to you, Paul. These situations, when you are in the middle of them, present difficulty for anybody to write about or podcast about. Part of the reason for this is that I am so used to dealing with people who are long since dead from the Cold War, from the 40s and 50s and 60s. And then people like Litvinenko, who was murdered in London 14 years ago, in 2006, still seems like a pretty fresh memory, but long enough since that you can analyse it and talk about it and think about it with some distance. Litvinenko stands out in my mind because it was so unexpected and so shocking. And so I won't use the word unprecedented because it, it wasn't quite unprecedented, but it was from an era that I believed, we believed in Britain had finished, had, had closed. And what the Litvinenko killing did was to bring to the fore all the suspicions of USSR, Cold War, Russia. And again, that was just subsiding when the Skripal poisoning happened which was horrific for different reasons, because his daughter had been involved, policemen had been involved, and then weeks later, a woman died, who was absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, All the ambulances and police cars had to be buried in a field in concrete or something like this. Although Skripal and his daughter survived, and I believe to have gone to America, that was even more shocking to me personally, because he was at least notionally retired, and certainly old enough to be relaxing at home with his daughter. But there was a level of cynicism there, the way this indiscriminate poison had been applied to a house in the hope that the right person would come into contact with it. And then this chain reaction of police getting involved, doctors getting ill, and this snowballing level of risk where everybody who came into contact with the victims, with the house, with the cleanup of the house, were exposed to this massive risk, a chemical weapon used in a suburban town in Britain And not in 2006, not in 1966, but just a couple of years ago. And then there was a massive international outcry. Diplomats were expelled. We remember the coaches in London expelling the Russian, we call them diplomats, but they were spies. And again, life went back to normal for those who were not directly affected at least. And then the second I heard about Navalny, who, as I specialize in Cold War, I wasn't really aware of the details of current Russian politics, but it emerged that Navalny was the opposition leader, the, the real risk to Putin. And the pattern, it was so obviously a poisoning, but it was so obviously not radioactive poisoning because of what we learned with Litvinenko, the symptoms were completely wrong. People were talking about GHB and things. But really, an overdose of GHB might issue a pretty stern warning to somebody. But it didn't seem like the kind of thing that the Russian state would use. But for them to use Novichok so soon after denying that they were involved in the Skripal attempt, after parading two people, two men who were so obviously GRU officers, if you'd been asked to draw or, or pick two men out of a lineup that looked like GRU officers they would be the two. It was so amateurish and ultimately a failure that I never thought for a second it would happen again so soon. And the reason for the hesitancy, of course, is that Navalny is still critically ill. Germany is saying his life is not an immediate risk. I know from the Novichok poisonings in Britain that some of the people who were most badly affected were very badly affected and are still dealing with the consequences of that years later. So Navalny is by no means out of the woods, But it seems likely that he will survive, which allows you then to talk about it in a different way. But this is a... there's no escaping. This is a horrific, horrific event. And even for somebody like Navalny, who's been poisoned with this green stuff in his face, he's fallen ill in prison before, suspected poisoning, but of course nobody would run the right tests. Even somebody who's repeatedly and constantly at risk, followed by FSB agents... Hounded his his wife, his family, his friends, his colleagues. Hounded daily, every single day. Everywhere they all go, hounded. Even then, this is somehow just appalling. Because it was on a plane it, with other passengers around, with staff around. We don't know whether the Novichok was applied to his clothes, which some people are suggesting. Or it seems unlikely it was in the tea now. That, that seems to have been a red herring. The Novichok, the gel or the cream seems to... I think partly because it's so strong and powerful that it doesn't need to be ingested. It's actually easier, therefore, to apply it to something that the person, the victim is likely to touch or come into contact with. clothes seems an interesting possibility. Maybe his seat, the airline's seat, but then would it touch his skin or would it just go into his clothes? Something like that seems likely. We know it wasn't anything on the plane because the reaction was so quick during the flight that it it must have happened in the airport or earlier that day. But we know from the Skripals that Novichok does act very quickly. They left the house, went for a meal, and then within an hour or so, maybe two hours, they were feeling symptoms and they were found, of course, on the bench by members of the public. When the symptoms start to kick in, it seems to happen very quickly. So please stay tuned, please follow, please look at the website, please sign up for email updates as well. Germany's reaction to it, Britain's reaction to it, the American reaction to it, is still being established. We may well see diplomats expelled from all of those countries and others. Maybe the EU will respond in a better way this time, now that Germany has been brought into it. I seem to remember last time with Skripal, Germany were a little bit hesitant about wanting to offend Putin for other reasons, political reasons. So there we go. It's uh, still the Cold War. It's Cold War I. I think the Cold War never went away. I think the only people who thought that were perhaps Britain and America. I think Russia and China never stopped things seem to be getting hotter and worse rather than better which is great for historians of cold war great for anybody who follows this stuff in the way that i do but for the people involved of course in russia it's it's pretty scary i would imagine spies of london will return next week